When we were children, we all learned how to speak a language. Sometimes you learn how to speak really positive things, and sometimes you learn how to speak really negative things. That process of learning something and unlearning something, um, and I'll just speak for myself, there are things I need to unlearn, and there are things I need to learn more about. You're listening to the Authenticity is Contagious podcast with Kathleen O'Grady, where she and her guests discuss what it means to choose your authentic self, to remove negative energy, to live a calmer life, and to become more, a more heart-centered person, a stronger leader, a better partner, and a friend. Come join us on this journey of creating the life you've been missing out on, one intention at a time. Here's your host, authentic leadership coach and founder of Rally Coaching and Rally Coaching Academy, Kathleen O'Grady. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Authenticity is Contagious podcast. We have a powerful episode for you today, as I had the opportunity to talk to my friend, Terry Harrell, the North America Director for Global People Consulting at Red Hat. In her leadership position, Terry has had an opportunity to support so many people who are hurting due to the recent murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the subsequent protests. And while we all need human interaction and connection so that we can emotionally support our teams, we are also in a global pandemic that keeps us away from each other physically. For Terry, as a white woman, she has had a unique perspective on diversity because of her experience in raising a family. So my oldest son is a white male. He's 20 years old. My oldest daughter um, is 13. She was born in Guatemala. She's Latina. And my youngest daughter, she's six years old. She's biracial. She was born in San Antonio, Texas. And she's African-American and Latina. And as we start our conversation today, I asked Terry how her team is emotionally handling so much crisis. There's been a lot of tears. There's been a lot of connection. For my direct team, I'm definitely reaching out, making sure everyone and their families, you know, just checking in to see how they're doing, how they're dealing with all of this. I was a part of a recent beautiful experience where an individual on my team used their voice in a beautiful way to share some of the challenges that they're processing and was able to invite others to chime in and participate in a dialogue. And, you know, where some of this started with some fear and some anxiety on, you know, I want to do this, but I don't know where this is going to go. The beautiful thing was that it ultimately went to a place of love, you know, and it encouraged others to speak their voice and chime in. After this exchange occurred, I, I actually had to go and present at another meeting and I was asked by this group, I was on a panel and they asked me, you know, when had I ever been proud as a leader? And, you know, I, I was about to get choked up. I immediately expressed this example of what had just occurred on my team 
where I was so incredibly proud as a leader where someone was able to trust that we had a safe space, that they leveraged our open culture, that they spoke their truth in a time of crisis. And it perpetuated this beautiful dialogue that is still ongoing. And it's been beautiful to see the reaction from the broader group and the warmth that created in a time of sadness. Yeah, I want to acknowledge you, Terry, for, for creating that space for that to happen. It's, it's not only about the values that Red Hat holds and, and Open being one of them, but you are among a lot of important leaders in that company and you held the space for that to happen. So how does that feel for you? You know, my initial reaction to that is I am grateful that they trust me. Mm. You know, I don't look like everybody on my team. And I love that. In order for us to have these types of conversations, I think you really, (laughs) you need to practice some of the lessons that you teach. You know, you need to be genuine. You need to be authentic. You need to be vulnerable. And it's been humbling to be a part of those raw discussions with people because I care about them and I care about their families and we have to continue to find ways to be able to talk about this. What I have been relieved by is that for the first time ever, I think, CEOs of companies and heads of associations and, and leaders around the country and even around the world are putting out specific messages about Black Lives Matter and mentioning the names of the departed and those who were sacrificed for us to learn these hard lessons again. In some cases in the past, you might have had occasional companies come out and and identify, you know, in coaching, we call it naming what's in the space, right? But not to this extent and not to this degree and not as quickly. I realize that there's always got to be that first follower, right? It's like, I'm sure the people in, in the C-suite are having to decide, do we want to remain silent? And if we do, what does that mean for our reputation right now? And it's nice yeah. to see that, you know, the CEO of Red Hat and more and more companies are following suit. And it's, it's, about time really don't you think oh yeah i mean listen i'm lucky i'm lucky i get to work at a company where i'm inspired by the leaders that i work with that encourage this Mm -hmm. it creates even more space for people like me who wants to create space for people to have these conversations we need more of that for sure for those individuals that are in the u.s that are listening you know this particular day where we're having this conversation you and I are wearing black for Blackout Tuesday. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that people can do. I was on a global call this morning with over 50 people on it all over the world. And nothing was said, but to see the number of people wearing black t-shirts, that solidarity, that speaks volumes to my soul. And it's putting a t-shirt on. You know, it's these little simple acts of kindness that we can all do to make a difference. I'll I'll wear a black t-shirt every day for the rest of my life. That's one thing, but 
it's encouraging those other things that need to occur, the deeper rooted things. Yeah. And one of the things that we know to be true is that what we focus on grows. And I started focusing on what was happening. I'll confess probably really heavily Wednesday in advance of the episode I did on, on diversity and race, because I wanted to be educated to what as much as I could about what was happening in that specific moment. But prior to that, you know, you just look at the news and you see all of this terrifying content. And so my colleague, Holly Jo Jones, who I love dearly, she pushed me to download TikTok. And I thought to myself, the last thing I need is another distraction and more social media. But I'm glad I listened because what I've seen on TikTok ever since, and I know I've been blowing up your phone, Terry, with, with videos. <laughs> I hope they're, they're not too uh, annoying. But between Thursday of last week and today, which is Tuesday, June 2nd, 2020, I started to see less examples of excessive force and brutality and more examples of police taking a knee, hugging people who are there to protest, and more and more examples of entire cities holding a moment of silence or clapping together or singing together. And I feel like, it's, it, yes, it's important for us to see the truth, but we need to see the whole truth, not just the fear-based truth, not just the, the clickbait or the, the things that the news media are conditioned to sensationalize versus the positive stories. And so for those of you out there listening, if you're not on TikTok, you might as well check it out because that is, that is the gift that we have right now with technology is the ability to take videos in real time, post them in real time, so that people who are following the things that matter to them and their identity and their authentic self, they're getting to see what's really happening, not just somebody else's choice of what we get to see. I love that. It's so true. It's those things that I want my kids to see. You were the one who introduced me to the America's Got Talent Archie. Mm. Archie Williams, yeah. Archie Williams. You know, there's, there are no coincidences in this universe. So what are the chances that that episode would air? How close to what's happening now? Yeah. I think we have to leverage those opportunities when we see those connections. I think it creates an opportunity to have conversation. Well, and I think it's a matter of exposure. So America's Got Talent is a very popular show because it centers around music. And who, who doesn't love music, right? <laughs> music is, is something that has a way of penetrating the cells of our body and our soul in ways that words alone cannot. And so when you see a man, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, um, America's Got Talent, it's a show about people competing, you know, with some sort of talent. And so this man was in prison for what, 37 years? Yeah. For a crime he did not commit as a young black male in Louisiana. He was 
detained in one of the most violent prisons in the country, if not the world, in the way he maintained his sanity and his soul was by singing. And he was able to see the show, America's Got Talent, while he was in the prison. And so he would visualize himself there and talk about manifestation. Holy <laughs> goodness. He got there. He was picked up by the Innocence Project and then somehow made it his way to America's Got Talent. And the song that he sang on his audition was Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. And his rendition, I mean, Simon Cowell said, you know, I'm never going to hear that song the same way again. That's the life of a person that we're only getting to see the rising out of the ashes and, and the success story, right? Who doesn't love a success story? But what I want to focus on is I want to focus on the people who are still either literally in prison or incarcerated in their own beliefs or incarcerated by the culture that we still need to change so that we can give them a way to stay focused and visualizing the hope of their future instead of continuing to focus on the past and, and the pain. And I know we, we have to learn from our history because we keep repeating it for Pete's sake. You know, what are your thoughts on that, Terry? Like, how do we really invite all of us who are hurting to decide what we want this new relationship to look like. You know, Archie's story was really inspiring to me because of that message for hope to see what he's doing for himself and others right now, after all that he's been through. I was like, wow, if he can do that, I can surely do a lot more. When I think about, those hopeful opportunities, I think they really do all begin by listening and understanding and then taking action. I only understand a sliver of, you know, but if we all focus our time and energy from a place of love to be compassionate and work towards progress, I can only see beautiful things coming from that. So I think leveraging from the hope that others have, the hope that we have within ourselves and taking action on that is one of the most important things that we can do for ourselves, for our community, and for our kids. Mm -hmm. It makes me think of a video I saw on TikTok today of, <laughs> I know, I, Holly Joe created a monster. <laughs> but it was a picture of, a, a video rather, of two, I'll call them toddlers, but probably just old enough to, to run in a, in, a, in a very like cute, but still hobbly kind of way. And I believe it was taken in New York. And, and one of the little boys was a white boy and the other little boy was a black boy. And they were running towards each other with their arms outstretched and they just jumped into each other's arms and were hugging and swinging back and forth in such an innocent way. And I feel like innocence ties back to what you said about listening. When you come with innocent curiosity and you don't assume to know who a person is, 
based on how they look or what category they belong to or what cultural background they, they belong to, then you're automatically going to learn something new about that person and hopefully yourself. So when we start any RCA uh, cohort on the first morning of the first day, obviously people are, are primed to know what they're stepping into and, and they all want the same things, which is to become more authentic. But when we open up our class every, every first day, we ask a powerful question, which I won't give away because it's one of, our, one of our secret weapons, but we ask a question and then everybody starts to talk about who they are, not related to their job title, not related to any sort of label, but basically this is who I was before I started to label myself. Or this is the experience that I feel defines my character because I made it through. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, these stories, they run the gamut from rape, abuse, crime, addiction, all of these things that, that have happened to people. Everybody has a story, but we don't know the story. So we don't know who is hurting and why. And so these are not my words. But one of our colleagues at RCA, Marcy Miles, and I were talking yesterday, and she focuses her, her work on authentic leadership and self-care. And she's a former nurse, and she worked in the prison system as a nurse. And she said to me, you know, Kathleen, she said, I feel like if people really want to heal as a humanity, then we have to recognize that we're all in pain. And she said, even the man who had his knee on George's neck must have done that because of the pain that he was in for some reason. Now, we're not justifying his behavior by any means, but like people who love themselves don't want to kill another person. So the point here is how do we collectively learn to love ourselves and reinforce that, not just within our families, and our friendship circles. But how do we bring love to corporate America and the military and police departments and things like that? How do we make it a core competency, quite frankly? You know, you're hitting on something that is really important. And I think we'll find that this is going to become a hot topic going forward. When we were children, we all learned how to speak a language. You know, we learned it from various people, environments. You didn't just wake up one day and have a language. Sometimes you learn how to speak really positive things, and sometimes you learn how to speak really negative things. But the point is that process of learning something and unlearning something I think is going to be really pivotal as we begin to have more of these conversations, because I think it's really clear. Um, and I'll just speak for myself. There are things I need to unlearn. And there are things I need to learn more about. Everyone's going to be on a different journey. And to your point, everyone has a different story. I think there's going to need to be a balance of listening, learning, and unlearning. And I think if we all have open hearts and can have some self-awareness, 
we can all grow individually, but we can all grow together as a community. I couldn't agree more. And there's a powerful question that comes from one of the books that we have the, the participants at RCA read. It's Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott. So I can't take credit for this question, but I wish I could. The question that I feel like we all have to ask ourselves right now as it relates to the change that's needed is what am I pretending not to know about myself? Because we all want to believe that we're the exception, that everybody else is this, but I'm, you know, I'm not, or it could never happen to me. Or yeah, maybe once or twice I might have said something racist, but I really didn't mean it. I was just playing along or, you know, any one of those things. And so I want, what I want to say, just, you know, like you said, speaking for myself, there's no point in me beating myself up for mistakes of the past because they're of the past. What I want to focus on now is how can I choose to be intentional about every single interaction that I have and go even deeper into the work that I already do around understanding people's identity stories and not who are they based on what they do, but who are they based on their soul? What is the way this person is talking to me? What am I taking from the way they're presenting themselves? What is it that they want me to know about who they are? And how can I be even more curious and, and listen deeper and ask powerful questions to really get at that. I had a, a session yesterday with an African-American female leader in, in the nonprofit space. And she said, you know, I'm toggling back and forth between wearing my, my leader hat and deciding how are we going to communicate about this to our whole company but then also allowing myself to be a black female. And, and how, do I, how do I show up as both? And so we spent the session talking about that. And I feel like there's a, probably a lot of people out there who are people of color who are still trying to conduct themselves business as usual mm. while cringing inside over the smallest microaggressions. And so how do we, like you did, how do we create that space for them to talk about it? You know, I'll share a story of something that happened um, this past week. Well, first of all, let me just answer your question. You pick up the phone and you call somebody. I had a conversation with somebody. We just had a raw, honest conversation, checking in on each other, talking about some of the experiences we were going through in that particular day. And this person sent me a text following up later that night. And they said, you know, I, I felt like I had to put a smile on my face and kind of fake it through the rest of the day. But I just wanted to say thank you because our conversation was refreshing. It was real. It helped me get through the day. And I said, well, you did better than me because I wasn't smiling. I cried the rest of the day. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I said, we're here for each other, you know, we're learning together, but you know, it's just creating that space for each other. Going back to a point you were making earlier, there, one of the mantras that I really try and live by is everything is a blessing or a learning. 
And when you engage in a conversation with someone where they may be saying things where you are creating perspective and judgment that looks like, wow, there's some ignorance there, or there's some lessons in life that they haven't been exposed to, whatever that voice is in your head. To me, that is just a reminder and an opportunity that we need to create more awareness and we need to have more conversations. So I know there's sometimes frustration when there are interactions with people who don't think similarly. My, my thought process on that is that that's, that's okay. This is a point in time where someone is on their journey and we have an opportunity in that moment going back to, you know, how much information do you give a kid in that moment? How much, you know, it's just, it doesn't matter if you're a child or an adult, you got to meet them where they're at. And I think if you're coming from a place of love, you're not going to be able to help yourself other than shining some light on that person. Yeah. And I'll add to that, that the way you shine that light is to start with non-judging, stay open, stay curious, and then compassionately say, you know, may I share a story with you that might kind of stretch your perspective on that a little bit? And, and that's a totally different approach to just mm-hmm. shutting down, assuming that that person is not like you and that they can't be trusted or that, you know, they're ignorant or stupid or uneducated or whatever, but just like, see if you can start a conversation without shaming them or coming across like you're better than them. If people continue to have this zero-sum game approach to resolving conflict, we're never going to get anywhere. So the way, the way we show people how to take responsibility for their beliefs is by taking responsibility for our own. And so if I say like, oh, well, I didn't know any better. Like I wish somebody would have told me. I, I don't appreciate that person being so harsh and judgmental towards me. Well, then I have to be the one to not be harsh and judgmental towards somebody else if they are lacking in some sort of way. So the the irony of all of this is that we all want the same thing. And we don't know how to give it to each other because we don't know how to give it to ourselves. I always say the relationship we have with the people outside of who we are is a direct extension of the relationship we have to ourself, our spirituality, or any sort of belief system that we hold. And so if somebody loves themselves, I keep saying this and and I'll never stop. If somebody really loves themselves, they're going to make mistakes. They're going to say the wrong thing. They're going to have disagreements and fights and wish they wouldn't have said things, right? You know, we're all human. Point here is not to not be human, but to learn from those situations and say, there's no good that will come out of me saying this thing. There's no good that's going to come out of me going on a rant on Facebook or as Mildred says, being a keyboard gangsta (laughs) when you, (laughs) when you disagree with somebody about something like 
it takes a lot of practice, but you really have to stay curious and open. It's interesting, some of the interactions you have with people. I know when I um, adopted my oldest daughter, she doesn't look like me. And I remember holding her and someone coming up to me and asking me, how much did that baby cost? (gasps) And I remember replying to her, and I was 26 years old. I was really young when we adopted her. And I said, you know what? The baby was a gift from God. That part was free. I said, the process had some expenses to it, but that was manageable. But I remember looking at this adult who was significantly older than me and thinking, well, first off, I can't believe that you just said that, right? But just those types of interactions, like how do you, how do you even respond to that? Like how do you even like go in with a reaction? But for me, what I've learned as I've gotten older is like they're all teachable moments, right? But then the reverse can happen. I remember when Mari was a baby and I remember when she was an infant, this was before the texture of her hair changed. I I was like, I am not going to be that white mother that does not know how to do her hair. I watched 40 plus hours on YouTube on how to take care of her hair. And there was one day I picked her up from daycare and there was a black mom that came up to me and she criticized the way that I was doing her hair, that I wasn't doing it well. And I remember just crying and calling some of my black girlfriends. I'm like, what did I do wrong? Like, I just, you know, I'm trying and I thought it actually looked good that day. But it's that it does. It's just honoring your self love, knowing that where you come from is pure and good. Not for everybody, but you know, you're coming from that place, you know, it's okay. And that acknowledging and honoring that sometimes people are saying these things because it's a reflection of the journey of what they're going through. It's about them, not you. But the way that you respond to it can be really powerful, especially in these conversations regarding race or whatever. You know, you made some really beautiful points earlier about the struggles of what victims are going through. Maybe a lot of this is a victim of people just not loving themselves. And not to take away from the harshness of some of these things that people unfortunately experience, but I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of things that you can build on as you have more and more of these conversations. And so what I heard is that those were both examples of microaggressions. Yep. We, we have so much to learn from the black community and, and really not to take away from what's specifically happening to them. But these themes of victimization and self-love and self-reflection and microaggressions are, are rampant throughout the world. And so I want us to learn first how to love ourselves so that people can stop hurting each other, regardless of what color we are. There's so much pain right now. And there needs to be a lot of healing and that healing starts with Mm self-love. But I think we can help each other on that journey together with these types of conversations. I I think that reflection, if you're having an emotional reaction to something, to ask that question of what's going on inside of you and bring it back to that narrative of self-love 
I, I totally agree with you. You reflect out what's inside. Maybe if we all work harder on that journey on ourselves, that's part of, you know, the solution to some of the change that needs to happen. Yeah. Thank you so much, Terry. Thank you. I really appreciate you and I appreciate the work that you do and I appreciate learning from you. That was Terry Harrell, North America Director of Global People Consulting at Red Hat. Thank you so much, Terry. I always love the opportunity to talk with you and be a part of your authenticity as a leader. Terry is part of our upcoming Authenticity is Contagious Conversation webinar series starting today, June 10th at 3.30 p.m. Eastern. For more information on upcoming conversations with Terry and other amazing guests, please visit authenticityiscontagious.com, scroll down, and subscribe for updates. Intro and outro music for this podcast was provided by a dear friend and former client, the incredibly talented Autumn Rose Brand. You can find out more about her and her music at autumnbrandviolin.com. This episode was edited and produced by Earfluence. For more on full-service podcast production for your business or personal brand, visit earfluence.com. We all have a voice. Let's use it.